Lennon, director of the National Portrait Gallery, and I'm really delighted to welcome you all here today. Um, I have to say, if you'd talk to me about like career ideas, I would never have imagined that I'd end up being the warmer packs for Paul McCartney and Stanley Tucci, <laughs> but I'm very happy to be here today. Of course, today also marks uh, exactly one week since we reopened our doors to the public after a major three-year transformation, which is the biggest since this building opened in 1896. And the response has been really fantastic. And it's just so wonderful to see our galleries and our lecture theater uh, full of people with other people joining online. And of course, all the galleries have been beautifully restored across our building. And I think this transformation is clear even before you set foot in the National Portrait Gallery, thanks to the new forecourts and entrance and the beautiful doors by Tracy Emin that I hope you've all seen. Of course, in addition to the transformation of the building, we've also opened two exhibitions to coincide with our reopening. And of course, yesterday we opened the wonderful and I think really revelatory exhibition, Paul McCartney Photographs, 1963 to 64, Eyes of the Storm. I got to sit down and chat with Paul McCartney. I got to sit with Paul on stage in front of an amazing audience and discuss his new book, 1964, Eyes of the Storm, which is out now. The thing you need to know about this book, and it's very cool, is it's a collection of photos that Paul took pretty much over like a three-month period during that incredible time in 1963-1964 when Beatlemania exploded and they came to America. The book showcases 275 of McCartney's rediscovered photos. He didn't even know he had these. It's fun to go through them and talk to Paul, and we had a lot of fun. Welcome to this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm Martin Quibell. This week, the news is merging into our main topic. It is indeed. So over the last few weeks, Paul has done a couple of hour-long interviews which have been streamed. One with Stanley Tucci for the National Portrait Gallery and one with Conan O'Brien, which ended up on the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast. This seems to be Paul's MO these days. He's done that with the last couple of projects. Yeah, this one, I find it more interesting because it's looking at it from a different angle. When they don't fall back on the old music staples of all oh, this song, blah, 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 and all these stories, anecdotes, it's interesting to see Paul's respond reactions to people asking questions about the photographs and what was going on around them. 
And it was the same thing when he did a couple of hour-long interviews when the lyrics book came out. Yep, and there's also something really interesting with this where they've got the exhibition going on based around the book, and there's a dedication there to uh, to Jane Asher. This is the most honest that Paul has really been about Jane Asher. And, I mean, while he doesn't go into exceeding detail, he gives much more detail, and he's much more fond of Jane Asher than he has been in any interview almost ever that I can remember, certainly since the 60s. Absolutely. I mean, acknowledging how important not just her family and and Peter Asher, um, you know, Jane's brother is, but also how important Jane herself was. This is, to a certain extent, going to be about the photos, but they only did a selection of photos in the two shows, and there's a significant amount of overlap in that selection. But it's interesting because they mentioned that there were over a thousand photographs that were discovered as well. We certainly have more than they show here, and... At least a handful of the ones in the show are different from the ones in the book. Yeah, I've noticed that looking through the book. Absolutely, yeah. Or variations. Yeah, I think some of them you've got photographs that were probably taken around the same time in the same area, but, but almost somebody's looking a different way or something. It's only fitting, perhaps, that among the first to check out the National Portrait Gallery's multi-million pound facelift, one of the most recognisable faces in Britain. <laughs> After three years closed for a top-to-bottom refurbishment, its royal patron, the Princess of Wales, not only invited to look at one or two of its new acquisitions, adding to the gallery's star-studded comeback and meet-and-greet for the princess with Sir Paul McCartney, not demonstrating his singing skills, but his photography. Having unearthed these gems, images he thought he'd lost will be on show until the autumn, tracking his time in the Beatles just as the band were taking off. Linda's recent show obviously was not in the National Portrait Gallery because, well, it was closed for the last three years for remodeling, and maybe Paul will be bringing a Linda retrospective to there as well. He's got a really nice one cooked up that he has been showing around the country. All right, so you know we're going to talk about these two hour-long interviews. Before we get to it, Stanley Tucci is not someone that I ever really associated with the McCartneys all that much. He had appeared in the pilot of Mary McCartney's cooking show, Mary McCartney Serves It Up. And by the way, if you're in the States and you have Max, you can get the latest season of Mary McCartney Serves It Up, which before was limited to the rarely subscribed to Discovery Plus service. So now it's part of the HBO family and it's part of Max Streaming. I'm looking forward to being able to watch it over here. I do know that, I mean, I've looked back on uh, Mary's Instagram because I follow Mary, and sometimes she'll post pictures up in these posters, not just from that show, but other times where she's met up with Stanley and Stanley's wife. I think she's very friendly with Stanley's wife, from what I can tell. So there's a history there, but just not public, if you see what I mean. Given Tucci's age, he was born in 1960, he might have had some relationship with Paul and Linda, but it doesn't actually seem quite that much like it. I mean, I'm just guessing here that he might have had a friendship with Mary's previous husband because they were both in filmmaking. Conan has a fairly long history with Paul. When Conan was doing Late Night, he actually flew over for just a little 10-minute segment with Paul at MPL back when Flaming Pie maybe came out. 
Crikey, that's quite a bit of money just for a small segment. Really funny stuff, and it's expensive for a, a network chat show to fly him out all the way to London to talk to Paul. And then Conan and Danny are very good friends. Conan played at the Los Angeles George Harrison Tribute, and uh, he was the host for the George Harrison Guitar app, which unfortunately has never been updated, so it is not compatible with the current version of iOS. Yeah, come on, get that sorted. They finally got the John Lennon Bermuda app up and running again, and you know, so it's just whenever somebody remembers. Most of the real nice photos have been ripped out of the app. You know, they had really, really high resolution photos taken of all of George's guitars, so you can see every scratch and every nick that George made to them over the years, every slight adaptation for his style. And it's like, wow. I mean, he had quite the collection of guitars. All of George's guitars, that's not few. And ukuleles. As we know, George used to carry ukuleles around in his trunk and just hand them to people. Yeah. You don't know how to play it yet, but you will. No, no, two is not enough. You never know when we're going to need more. (laughs) Or so says Tom Petty. So, all right. Into the NPG show with Stanley Tucci. For the most part, it's talking back and forth. I want to ask you, Paul, mm-hmm. um, why did you, what was the thing that started you? So you're 21 years old. You guys are about to become, like, stupidly famous. Big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like, you invented fame, I think, is what happened at that point. And then... You have a camera. You'd always like taking photographs, mm. right? Yeah. Is that something you always did as a, as a kid? As a Yes, you know, like most families, we had a little brownie. This is, We're going way back here. This is like... But each family had a little Kodak brownie camera, and you just sort of point it, and you take a little photo, you know? And um, so I used to like messing around with that. Me and my brother, who is now a photographer. Maybe after about... 10 minutes, they start in on the photographs and they talk about things related to the photographs, either things that come up in Paul's mind or things that interest Stanley Tucci about the various photographs. I find it interesting at some points, Paul will be honest, you know, when he says, oh, where, where were the selfies? I mean, there you go, Paul McCartney taking a selfie before it even existed. He didn't know where it was taken, but he was saying about, you know, it was just natural that he sort of took photos like that without thinking. And then you got that lovely picture of him that, that Mike took as well. He talks about how he had seen Astrid using a Hasselblad, which is a very big, very professional camera. And, you know, when he had the money that he bought Mike a Hasselblad, and this was one taken with that camera. Is that the same one that took the photo of Paul on the backyard that's on Chaos and Creation, do you think? I think so, although I'm not 100% sure of that. Yeah, the, the, this photo in particular is Paul just sort of lounging in a chair in 24th Lynn Road. That tells everybody that the book doesn't contain just pictures that, that Paul took. The selfie shot is out of focus, but they still went ahead with it. You know, Stanley Tucci tries to justify it, and, and he's a little bit right that because it's out of focus, you tend to look at it and look at the details a little bit more. But ultimately, yeah, it's out of focus. It is. It is kind of cool, and it is, as Paul says, one of the very first selfies. Absolutely. But it's, it's interesting that Paul doesn't even know what he's got. 
a story that he tells in both interviews is that, oh, you know, I took the picture, so I knew that they were there, but I just thought someone walked off with them in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, the, where he says, you know, back in the 60s, people just used to leave the doors unlocked and people would just walk in and go, hello, and then they'd walk out with stuff. That was basically his joke about it. But he, it's also kind of a reference to, you know, she came in through the bathroom window and that whole story about the, the scruffs breaking into the house and stealing items that were personal to both Paul and Linda. So Paul also consistently goes on about how the Beatles were different and how they were arty and studenty, which is interesting because he's never really been one to talk about that. Other people have kind of talked about that. My, my favorite line of his from there is, uh, I think we were all kind of fairly artsy right. people. You um, did you go to art school? No, studied? John went to art school. Right. And me and George went to the school next to the art school, which was <laughs> <laughs> near enough. <laughs> Kind of rubbed off on me and George. But no, we liked kind of artsy things. Yeah, I liked that. That was funny, actually. <laughs> and he actually makes a point of talking about some of the different photographers and how their styles would influence the way he thought about photographs. You know, I've kind of thought going through some of this material, maybe that's something that brought him and Linda together when they did start to get together, other than the obvious, well sex appeal both of them yeah but yeah so so he mentions about the hanging with photographers and that he enjoyed what was it taking photos and you know feel, feeling artsy but he eventually says that artsiness that got them that would eventually let them come up with ideas for album covers and that as well but we're going a bit ahead of ourselves there aren't we? the first of these photographers that he mentions is angus mcbean please please me cover photographer that was one of the nice things you know when we first had our first record um we were just told this photographer will show up and he'll take your picture yeah. we didn't have any say in it but he was a good photographer who's angus mcbean for the uh, yeah. photographic students um who's like a, a great surrealist photographer um so he took photograph and then but after that we started to have a bit more say in what we could do yeah and try to expand it into because the thing is with, with the old vinyl records there's so much to look at and he was stretching the bounds of what it meant to take photographs and even in something as relatively straightforward as the please please me shot it's not them being high up and having to lean over the railings and him being on the ground and having to lie down in order to get in that position yeah because he's taking the photograph from an unusual angle, it's not like just a straight portrait. It has got something different there. Although, like we've said before in Toppermost, it's not the first time that that photograph was taken, that angle was taken of that exact image, should we say. And that then leads into even a discussion of cinema, and Stanley Tucci brings in a bit about the French New Wave, which leads Paul into Dick Lester. And how running, jumping, standing still was kind of the same school of things that they were trying to get uh, when they took photographs and when they had their photograph taken. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that film and I, I think it is funny. In fact, the first film we ever did um, was with a director called Dick Lester. Mm. And we loved his, uh, he did a little short called the Running, Jumping, Standing Still film, which was great. He had the, the Peter Sellers and... 
Spike mm-hmm. Milligan, yeah. some of those guys in it. Yeah. So we were influenced by all this stuff. Uh, so in our album covers and in just taking snaps, um, you'd be looking for an interesting sort of angle, an interesting subject, an interesting lighting. Uh, I think that was one of the great things. The Running, Jumping, Standing Still film. It has not aged real well, but that's just not being in the world where that was something new, where you'd never seen anything like that before. No. When talking about blurry photographs, he mentions Margaret Cameron. Then he mentions Astrid. That was really a big deal, that here they were in Hamburg, and they had access to not only the Xyz, but Astrid in particular. Stu was the painter, but she was just a brilliant photographer. Very much so. I mean, I'm really surprised that she never did any actual professional work for them, like Klaus would, who was from the same group of people. The whole early look was kind of just them adapting Astrid's style. They were going off and showing Robert Freeman and some of these other photographers the photos that Astrid had done. And it's like, well, we like something like this. And, of course, that's where the whole With the Beatles cover idea came from because they had these set of half-lit photographs. And it's like, let's do something like this. And it's like, oh, well, I can do this. And, well, I can place you here with the shade on the window half open. And Paul also talks about that with regards to his own photography, how the pictures were always taken to take advantage of the light. Yeah, when you were just saying just now about that, it made me think of the With the Beatles cover, how that's very Astrid-y with the lighting and the composition of where they are on the, on the page. But yeah, the way that the light hits people, and Paul did mention that when he takes a photo, sometimes it's about how the light hits something, and it creates composition then where you get shadow from how that light hits a certain person or a certain thing on the photograph why do zoom meetings make you look so relatively crappy it's like well (laughs) you're not concerned about the light and even if you are concerned about the light and you you know you've gone out and bought one of those ring lights and place it so it displays on your face properly it's always real flat yes you don't get interesting shadows off of your face i mean you're not trying to get interesting shadows off your face you're not trying to be arty you're trying to talk about (laughs) the budgets or whatever, but still. That's it. I'm going to have to look for a booth now so I can, can play with getting the right light on me. All these influencers who go out and take these pictures, it's like, you got to think about the artistic nature of the photo. And, and granted, sometimes they do, although they're more interested in making themselves look pretty than anything else. The With the Beatles picture that you're talking about and the, the way that Astrid got that sort of light reminds me of a very famous photograph of Greta Garbo, that's face portrait of her that's all over the place, that's got that sort of light lighting and that very European sort of look to it. And then into the future, I mean, you know, why did Paul do what he did for the cover of Press to Play? Going out and getting a real Hollywood photographer who really knew how to take those glamour photographs. And he came up with just this lovely picture of Paul and Linda. He did. When you counter it to what John Yoko did for Double Fantasy, which is the same idea, but taken from a very John Lennon perspective, it's naturalistic and out on the street. Yep, that's by a very famous, that press press to play is by George Hurrell, who was a uh, famous photographer from the 30s onwards, by the way. Oh, he died only like less than six years after press to play came out, if that's any. 
continuing into the photographs, we are now into Liverpool in December of 63, you know, a period just slightly ahead of where we are on toppermost. And you can see how things have really already started to change. There's a couple of really wonderful pictures. There's a photo of George and there's a photo of John where it seems like the world is all buzz around him. And he's just sitting in this chair looking very Zen. Paul very modestly goes about how beautiful these young boys were. And it's like, <laughs> okay, you, you can take credit for that, Paul. He is right. They are meant to be jealous of. Certainly for us. And Conan makes some biting comments about himself. It's like, what good looking boys. Huh? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Good looking. You do say in the book, you talk about how we were all beautiful in our, when we were young. And I beg to differ. Uh, <laughs> I've got some photos I'll show you when I was 20. Not so good. It's, it's not so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you'll note if you go through these two, and, and despite the fact that they are talking about a lot of the same photos between the two sets of interviews, it, you know, Stanley Tucci kind of takes it in a very slightly more serious way. Conan gets all jokey, and, and both are equally valid, and both are well worth listening to. I thoroughly enjoyed the, um, well, I enjoyed both. I mean, the, the Tucci one, I enjoyed the way that he was looking at it from almost a more artistic point of view. But then as a film director and a filmmaker, that might suit him more, perhaps. It's really interesting to have Paul talking about, oh, who are these guys? Who are some of these other photographers that we were looking at? Not just the folks who are taking pictures of us, not just Robert Freeman and Deso Hoffman, but... Anybody they might come across who is a photographer, and I mean, you know, I'm sure Astrid is one who taught them about, oh, here's this guy, here's the kind of stuff he does. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah. So we have a picture here I adore. Um, yeah, this is uh, John wearing many hats. George. I mean, sorry, George. I get them all confused. Um, <laughs> you're the drummer, right? Uh, but I love it's that sense of comedy too of don't. Don't play, the, don't play the joke. You know, there is nothing funny happening here, which right. is the funniest way to be. Yeah. I'm going to wear these two hats, and I'm going to give you the most serious look in the world. <laughs> yeah, I know. George is very good at that. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, you know, he had a good deadpan sense of humor. Um, and these hats were just lying around. Um, they're probably the dancers' mm -hmm. hats. Looks like the kind of thing the dancers would get a cane and one of those hats and a scanty costume and do all sorts of dancing yeah so, so he picked up the hats to that point of that's the show business you're in there's some dancers here yeah. we're going to take these hats and goof around yes and uh, paul mentioning that anybody else would make a thing of it but george is just there basically deadpan with these two hats on which makes it more interesting i suppose a good comparison to that would be Ten years later, when John does the same thing with loads of glasses. You're thinking about walls and bridges? I am. Paul is kind of paraphrasing what the NPG interview came after the Conan interview. When they, okay. when they were talking about the same thing, Conan goes on about how the, that is the really important thing about being funny, is to not to try and sell the joke. No, no, nothing odd is going on here. I mean, that is how to sell the joke. I mean, and Conan should know with all of his years of expertise. 
I mean, just from what we know of George, the whole deadpan thing, that is the core of George Harrison's humor. Yeah. Then a photo of Ringo, which gives Paul an opportunity to go off a little bit on modern technology, how he likes it and how it's cool to be able to take a picture on your iPhone, but how that instantaneousness kind of takes away from what he considers the art of photography. Yeah, as somebody who's played with photography myself, I can sort of see where he comes from. I find it interesting that he used to just send his negatives or his film away to places, because, I mean, back in the day, I used to actually develop my own photographs. I mean, it probably sounds really strange to people listening nowadays, but there's something interesting I used to find about that where the photo would just suddenly appear almost like magic in front of your eyes. And it reminds me of even when you did send photos in or you're filming and then you get pictures back. What he said was really interesting because I'm sure me yourself as well, we have had the same sort of experience where you get pictures back and you don't even know whether the pictures are going to look any good. And we didn't have the technology to just take it, color correct it and tweak it. And it's just not something we could do. No, but then that's a natural photograph, you know, there that you've got that, when you catch that moment, you've caught that moment. It's not, look, there was more of a skill to it back then, I suppose, with photography because you were limited and you had to make sure that you got the shot. And then speaking of sending photos off to get them developed, you will notice that no one mentioned uh, his hobby was John. Of They would take girls out front after cavern gigs and, well, and take some pictures of them. And how sometimes the the chemist would not appreciate the subject matter of those photos and would black them out. And John, and so they get back, they get back their prints, and it's like, oh, bloody hell! I don't know what. You it was a way to get girls naked, as you do. Lewis describes that. I thought they might have found a way to bring up a slightly cleaner version of that somewhere but no it it all got ignored and those photos weren't lost i'm sure paul has them somewhere the only anecdote that we got was the short-sighted nativity scene playing cards that's the main one and mitch axelrod really likes that story although paul has told it before the interesting thing about that story is until you go you don't realize just how close mendips was from paul's house I've never been to Liverpool. It's one of my big things that I've not done, surprisingly. But if you just go down by the street, it's only like, you know, a mile and a half. And it's less than a mile, apparently, if you cut across the golf course. Which probably wasn't there when they were kids. Uh, No, it actually was there. Okay. Okay. It was a deal to cut across the golf course. You know, they had to jump over the fence and such. And avoid any golf balls, I would have thought. Uh, something like that but uh, mm. so the story was that john had been at paul's house and they were writing until late into the evening it was you know 12 12 30 and john would not put his glasses on to walk home it's like oh i know the route home and so he went and he walked back to mendips and the next day he called paul up and said the house on the corner booker avenue so i went past it said those people are crazy i said why what do you mean he said well, they were out. You know, what time was it? We finished midnight. said, they were out on the veranda, on the porch, playing cards at midnight. I said, I don't get it. So I went up and looked. It was, it was the manger. It was the baby Jesus. <laughs> oh, 
He wasn't going to put his glasses on. Though. <laughs> and a baby won all the money. There's a cap to that story. Oh, that's a good punchline there, Conan. One other photo from this point is Ringo blowing smoke. Is a very 1960s looking portrait. And he tells the story about how Ringo, when he was with a girl on a date, he would put two cigarettes in his mouth and light both of them. And Paul still thinks that was a very suave move. Yeah. Uh, then we move on to the London photos at the end of the year. There's a picture of the act that was on before them, Peter Jay and the Jaywalkers. That's a really good photograph. I like that one a lot. So the comment that Conan makes is that it's really kind of a different perspective because you don't think of the Beatles as being guys standing there waiting to go on. And the other thing about that is one of the guys in Peter Jay and the Jaywalkers is playing a huge saxophone. Is it, is it a bass saxophone, I'm guessing, then? Yeah, I would guess so. You can't talk about that without reminding me of Eddie Murphy and the Clarence bit, that he's responsible for the Beatles, and he wrote all the songs on saxophone. From and they know that they ripped me off. I can play this thing backwards, and you can hear them talking about it. You hear John Lennon, I play it in reverse. Listen very close. Listen. Hey, Paul, let's get rid of Clarence and steal all his good ideas. <laughs> Me. And then the bass player in that band, he's playing a bass that's very much like Bill Wyman's teardrop bass from uh, Rolling Stones. It's more octagonal than it is sort of heart-shaped or inverted heart shape of uh, the Wyman bass. Yes, it's an attractive looking body, that's for sure. Then they talk a bit about that the most interesting direction that Paul ever got came from... Uh, the Maisel's brothers when they were in America. And, you know, it's like, what do you want us to do? Just ignore us. Us being the guys with the camera. Yeah. Always a good thing. That, you know, shows up in the photos because, well, I mean, you know, John doesn't care. It's just Paul taking snaps or George doesn't care. So he got much better, much more interesting photos of the guys in the band. Yeah. The reason why that uh, short-sighted anecdote came about was because of a photograph that he'd taken of John in the back of a car where John was just sat there with his glasses on, just being normal John and not star John, because he mentioned, Paul did, that whenever he was like in any other situation normally, he'd just take the glasses off and wouldn't be able to see very well. But he was catching them intimately, just you know, behind the scenes, how they were to each other. And we learned that... John would not quite bite his nails, but he would just put his thumb to his mouth. Not sucking on it, just sort of biting on the tip of his thumb. And you see him doing that several times throughout uh, the photos in this book. Yeah. Paul reacted very strongly to that. It's like, I had forgotten what it was like to actually be in a room sitting there and talking to John. And, and there he is doing it. It's, in a way, another side of what we got out of Get Back. You know, here are these guys for real. Paul, with this and with Get Back, is suddenly being reminded of things that he'd forgotten about or behaviours that they'd had or ways that they were with each other. And, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see how Paul has been reminded of these things through these pictures coming to light, essentially. The stuff I would remember about John would be is taking his glasses off and cleaning them. Because in my family, uh, my brother and I didn't have glasses yeah. so, and I didn't really know too many people who did yeah. intimately 
Right. So, you know, he, he would always be sort of cleaning his guys. So those little things are very endearing, I found. And this, I think this is great. And there are a couple of other pictures in the exhibition where he's doing that too. He's just been, he's thinking, he's not actually biting his fingernail. We go from Liverpool to London to Paris, which is where they were to start the next year. Yes, and then they've got that really fantastic photograph of George and John that Paul took. I like that picture a lot. Which then leads to the thing that's been in the news lately is Paul talks about uh, uh, how filmmaking is much like photography, been ruined by a lot of things, by more modern technology. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of really rubbish films out these days. There's some good ones. June's great. I like June. <laughs> uh, no, but there are. There's, they, they, they bang them out. You know, yeah. and, they, and they just... And they're not awfully good. It's almost too easy in a way. Yeah. It, well, it is too easy. I think, yeah. I think that's the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like Dune, and it's like, it's a weird thing for Paul to come across and start talking about, but it's also a weird thing for them to pick out and make a headline and write stories about. It's like, okay, well, Paul doesn't like a bunch of movies. Well, so what? There's certain flavors of ice cream that I like and ones that I do like, if anyone's interested in doing a news piece about it. I'm sure Louise cares. Absolutely. I'm just explaining how interesting that news is, you know, of Paul likes this film, but he doesn't like that film. It is interesting in the course of of what they're talking about and it's like okay i get that and uh, you know I, I think paul is i think he chose his words carefully i mean because we know that paul really does like a lot of cinema he likes them going to the movies yeah i can understand that i'm a, I'm a lover of film as well shout out to tom onyardi who absolutely loves film one anecdote we did not talk about he talks about living upstairs with the ashers and he's got a photo out the back of what his view was this is at the height of Beatlemania in england mm. and you take this photo out the back and i think no one could have imagined that you were living in an attic i think with uh peter asher her younger sister yeah younger brother sorry yeah um yeah uh, it was actually a very posh house yeah it just had a not so posh view over the back you know but oh, no this, looks this fantastic it looks beautiful it, it was very cool actually yeah but this particular thing, this was out of my room. Mm -hmm. um, I was very lucky because I was going out with a girl called Jane Asher, and um, her mother was a really nice woman. And I was missing home. And with the Beatles, we'd got a little flat in Mayfair. So everyone thought it was kind of cool. But I went to see it, and I, I, it was like soulless, you know. Um, so Mrs. Asher said, well, you can come and stay here, you know. So um, I did. I jumped at it. She was a great cook as well. But then the fans would find out that. So they were that way, out in the street. Yep. Um, and I was up here. So I had to try and figure out some way of getting out. So it was crazy. We knew this guy next door, you know, the house next door, who lived on this same uh, level. He was major somebody. It's like an army type lives on his own. So I would ring him and I would say, I'm coming out. He said, oh, okay. So he'd open his window and I'd walk <laughs> along this little, you know, kind of dangerous little uh -huh. parapet and go in his window and then down in, his, in the lift. 
to the basement and go out of the mews and escape. <laughs> That's I love what this, this major, who's clearly an, an older gentleman, thinking, oh, McCartney's coming through. Got to let him in. <laughs> he has a great picture of Peter as well, doesn't he, from the same period? Neither one of them shows the photo of Peter, but it is a really great photo. I like that photo. And just that little bit of information of him speaking about having written World Without Love. He wrote the number one that displaced Can't Buy Me Love. And the fact that we have that demo still. That's another one that we're fortunate enough that Peter has saved through the years. Paul's chorusless version without the middle eight, which is really pretty amazing. So when Peter and Gordon got their recording contract, it's like, oh, well, can you finish that? Because you know, John doesn't like it. You're never going to do it. And Paul just went into the bedroom and 10 minutes later, here you go, Peter. Yeah. And handed it to him. There you go. There's a number one single. It's just like that Rolling Stones song. It's like, well, yeah, we can give you I Want to Be Your Man. We're not done with it yet. Well, can you finish it? Oh, okay, fine. And John and Paul just go off in the corner and dash off the end of I Want to Be Your Man. There's the verse that was missing. There you go. Back to Paris. We get this photo of them in the doorway. It's, uh, it's John and George in the doorway of the photo, which will become a very famous photo used for the promotion of the London Palladium show. Most people know it from the blue bricks. Oh, that picture, yes. Paul must have had his camera just somewhere off of him, and you know, while they were waiting for the setup or waiting for changes or something, he just snapped this black and white photo of John and George in the doorway. And if you look at the photo that they actually use, it's like you can tell that it's exactly the same place, the same location. Oh, yes. You're right, yeah. I'm just doing a compare now. John has kind of turned his head, and, and he's looking at George, and, and it's like they're talking or something. Yeah. Paul, oh, you can take the bloody photo. <laughs> Two more things about Paris. There's a, a shot of them admiring the fact that there's these posters, and they're posters which use Astro's photos of the band. Yeah, because you've got the ones of them sat down on the, on the seas, of course. And that set of photos is alongside the original, the antennae version of the Beatles logo. I'm not sure why. Perhaps that fitted more with the Parisian way of things, maybe, you know. While they were in Paris, they did do some recording, and there's a photo of another band in in the studio. Yes. It's a really cool picture, but what's more cool is the story that goes alongside that. I know, and this is, I believe you're at a recording studio... And it, I in believe Paris. it's in Paris. Yeah. And this looks like a Chet Baker album cover. It's absolutely, yeah. it's a stunning photograph. You guys are ushering in a whole new era of music, but you're still working alongside these other guys. Yeah. It's funny. I never knew who these guys were. I just, it was, I think it was a rehearsal hall. Mm-hmm. And I never knew. I just liked, it looked so cool. You know, I just took the picture. Um, but I never knew till very recently who they were or what was going on. And um, it turns out Elvis Costello texted me just the other day and he said he's got an amazing text from a friend of his who's called Ray. And Ray said, 
uh, I've got the book, and on page 161, there's this photo of my dad playing guitar. What? Ah, he said, my heart skipped a beat. So now we know who that was. That was Ray's dad. Ray's dad has a very beautiful Gretsch guitar in that photograph. It's just one of those weird little things. I mean, we we kind of got a little bit of that with the Ringo photos. You remember Ringo took a picture of the kids in the car on the way to see them in D.C. Okay. And he didn't know who any of them were. Back when Ringo's book of photos came out several years ago, they actually located four of the five kids. One of them was no longer with us and brought them up on stage and they actually got a chance to meet Ringo. Wow, that is cool. For Conan, that would become a running gag because there are several people that... Paul didn't know who they were. You know, we, we get a photo like in DC of just, you know, some random working in front of the train. And it's like, maybe that's Ray's uncle. Yeah. And then later we get another one of a, of a girl in Miami. And it's like, oh, that may be Ray's auntie. That got to be a running gag. Oh, dear. There's some really great photos of the stage show. None of Trini Lopez. You, you see Trini Lopez's band, but you don't see Trini Lopez. That then takes us to the plane to New York City. Absolutely. Another great picture of John wearing his glasses away from the public. John is sitting there talking to somebody, and then you could tell that Paul had not quite snuck up on him, but he didn't know that Paul was there. He's just looking up. Yep. Now things really pick up. This is the famous flight, Pan Am 101. You are going to uh, New York City, and you don't know what you're going to find when you get to New York City. You know you have a, you're on the charts, a number one hit. Mm. You're going to do the Sullivan Show. We all know what happens. Mm. But you guys, on the way over, you don't know. America's the big prize. Mm -hmm. Stanley Tucci talks to Paul about this more from a British perspective. Because we'd come to America a little bit nervous because this was the big apple. Right. This is where all the music we were making came from. Yeah. This was all the inspiration. And we were actually feeding back a lot of music to Americans that had come over. Right, and we'd yeah. done cover versions of it, like Twist and Shout. Right. So many people just thought, oh, we wrote that. Right. <laughs> but to us, it was like a, you know, we had to say, no, it's the Isley Brothers, and they're really cool. Yeah. And so we had to kind of feed the music back to Americans. Right. When he's with Conan, Conan talks about Pan Am 101 and, and the whole Sullivan experience as if he experienced it firsthand. And, I mean, we do kind of tend to do that but it's just kind of a little bit strange Stanley Tucci's got an Italian past as well hasn't he um he started his life in Italy and then they moved to America and then since being in America he's moved more over to the UK and does a lot of European trips and so yeah. into New York City we're used to a lot of these photographs but Seeing Paul's perspective is very different. I love 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 that picture of Columbus Circle the one from the cab a really good photograph. Yeah, that's right, Columbus Circus. Yeah, there's Columbus. Yeah. I like the weather thing. Yeah. Because it's like tomorrow's weather and that's cloudy. But the, where it's pointing, you can see it's all worn out. So that was the sort of... That was a really crappy the time, most, really, yeah. The most popular <laughs> temperature. Yeah. But this is a beautiful... To me, this is a beautiful photograph. You have a number of these in the exhibit where you, you have the, <clears throat> the rear view mirror... Mm. you know, very prominently mm. featured in the frame. Mm. And it gives you this 
great sense of perspective. One other, just briefly going back, since we were talking about the London Palladium and the advertising for it, there's a shot of Paul backstage getting ready to go on at the London Palladium. And it's got just like this very, very old-timey wallpaper and and a wall switch which doesn't even look like a wall switch it it looks completely foreign yet you got very young mccartney there and he looks like right now yep flocked wallpaper behind him yes absolutely conan uses that as an opportunity to talk about how it's amazing that paul has spanned all of this history of the pop music business, not just the pop music business, but the entertainment industry as a whole. What's behind him in this theater almost looks like it's from the last century, not the last century in the 1900s. Could very well be the same wallpaper that they had in the Palladium in the late 1800s, 1890s, say, or the 1880s. It's only the electric light switch that would make it, you know, not the 1800s. Back to New York, so the Columbus Circle photo. Yeah. I was there this morning and I knew I'd be talking to you and I've read the book 50 times because uh, I adore it. I love how different it is now. And I can see that you're starting to take pictures of signage. You're taking a lot of sort of uh, these almost still lifes. In a, it's, mm. a, it's a different idea now that you're playing with, which is this yeah. is America. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're just taking photos. So you're not necessarily taking portraits. Mm-hmm. You're just taking anything appeals to you. Um, so to me, that's, that's America. Um, yeah. and, and actually on that little needle that's on the thing, it's a weather thing. And it's, it's always telling the temperature. And you can see there's one little bit that's worn away. So that must be like the most popular te- temperature. <laughs> it was the number one temperature <laughs> in the country. Number, yeah. Uh, I just you- like the picture, you know, so I took it. So, okay, then we, we go on. We see Paul's view of the girls at the plaza, the police line, and Beatlemania as it actually was from his point of view. Wow. And you see the cops are there on horseback and wearing the old school, old style police uniforms. Was it winter when they came over then? February. Right. That would have been really cold then in New York. They were originally supposed to fly to D.C. and because of the weather, they could not do so. They had to take the train. Which, I mean, ended up being better for them because it both allowed them to clown around and get more time with the press and take some great photos. But it also would, in part, inspire Hard Day's Night. Right. Yep. There we go. That is then followed by the cover of the book, which, as our John, as John Stone mentioned when we were talking about this with him, it's interesting that it's boys that seem to be running behind trying to get caught up to their limousine. Like it says, though, in the description, though, you know, it, it does have a very Hard Day's Night look to it. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah, these all boys. Paul uses that as an opportunity to say that people still do the same thing and that there's the bloody traffic lights. People will, will come running up. When they realize it's him, they will come running up behind the car and then they'll get further and further behind. Then the light will stop them and they'll catch up again. He, he mentions that, that he's not going to sign if anybody does that to him now, because they always just like go up on eBay. I can understand that. If you're listening, Paul, if you do that for me, that will never go up on eBay. <laughs> now, Paul gets the punchline there. He did have a fella catch up with him, and he ended up talking to the guy, and the guy's only response was, well, you know, there's a recession going on, Paul. <laughs> Back in the Plaza Hotel, a really nice photo of Ronnie Spector. Yes. 
That's not Phil behind her, is it? I don't think so. Phil would have been in the dark glasses. There's a gentleman behind Ronnie, seated to her left, and it's not one of the Beatles' entourage. And it doesn't really look like Phil, but it could conceivably be him. It could possibly be somebody that Phil's paid to look after her. Security. And we know that Phil did that at the time, yes. He did. Hence why he's paying close attention. Another pause photo, an accidental double exposure of John, which in and of itself is kind of cool. I said that when I was looking at it. I said to Louise, said, what's going on there? And I said, I think that's a double exposure, which it is. But Conan's response to this photo was, you know, you guys were slobs. And he's right. <laughs> you know, the table in front of John, the room around John, it's just like, that's a mess. It really is. <laughs> it also wasn't just their garbage. It was, you had people in and out of that room all the time while they were there. Yeah. I mean, there's even stuff on the settee next to John. Newspapers and everything else. They were busy. Again, as we know from Get Back, they were fans of reading what people were saying about them. Yeah, but I'm guessing that they were also reading about other artists as well because they were fascinated with what was going on as well, especially with, you know, black music, which, you know, I'm going on to a tangent again there. I'm sure they got copies of Billboard and Cashbox. That was probably something that was very interesting to them as well. Absolutely. We move on to some behind-the-scenes shots of the Sullivan Show. We've seen a lot of these from the Sullivan people because George wasn't with them. There's Derek Taylor with the guitar, and there's Vince Calendra, who was one of the stage managers with George's guitar while they're setting up the lighting is really funny stuff. But Paul, since he was in the middle of that, did not get any pictures of that. But he gets a picture of Ringo and his riser. That's such a tiny little riser. His drums just barely fit on that riser. Yes, and his stool is so far back, if he went back an inch or so, he'd be dropping, what's that, about four foot down to the ground. Paul says, well, how did Ringo get up there? Yeah, how did he get up there? I can't see any ladders or anything. I don't know if there were springs or something, so maybe the legs collapsed and they could just reset them. And then the other thing is, did they nail down the kit into this riser? As someone who has at least played a little bit of drums, just a little bit, you can't hit the drums twice without them moving. No. That was the deal and get back. It's like, well, we got to nail them down. Yeah, there must have been something, but that's really a, a pretty fascinating photo. Yeah, you get a really good perspective of, of those drums. Then the train trip to D.C., the photo that I mentioned earlier, the workman with a shovel as they're moving out on the line. Paul's comment on the Conan interview was, I just saw him and he sort of sees me and he's giving me a smile. I love it. And I was just used to think, you know, what does he do when he goes home tonight? And what's he going to tell them yeah. at the dinner table? Yeah. Yeah. And say, oh, yeah, yeah, hey, them Beatles went through, you know. Right. <laughs> and took a picture of me. It took a picture of me, yeah. Well, he's here today. <laughs> <laughs> In a coffin. In a coffin, yeah. You know, they get to D.C. There's a photo Paul took of the White House, and you were saying, how winter is it? That photo tells you how winter it is. It really does. And the fact that they purposely made the cab driver drive past there when he didn't have to because they wanted to get a photograph of it. There's a picture of 
what we would now call paparazzi, but back in those days, it was just newspaper photographer reporters. There's one fellow who he's very happy about the fact that Paul has turned his camera around on him. Which gives the great quote that back then they were lovable rogues and now they're just rogues. I like the cop who's holding him back like, yeah, this photographer guy, I don't like the looks of him. Has he got enough cameras? We don't get a whole lot of photos of DC other than that. I would have thought he might have taken some at the British Embassy, but I guess not. Maybe he wasn't allowed. We see them boarding the plane to go down to Miami. Again, Paul's out there watching the crew guys, and one of them just makes this little guitar movement with his hands, and it's like, yeah, okay, everyone wants to be in Paul's photos. Yeah. Everyone's going to ham it up for them. We get their arrival in Miami, which is almost like a Where's Waldo photo. Yes. Yes. Paul is out there taking this picture, I guess, while they were driving in from the airport. They must have stopped because there is some sort of reception going on. In the center of this photo, there are beauty queens. If you look up on the roof, there's just girls pressed up right against the railings. And it looks like they're ready to fall off. Absolutely. Like they said, you know, you you won't be able to do that now because it'd be, you know, health and safety hazard. But yes. If you look in that photo to the left of the beauty queens, there's a girl in a leopard print dress and she has a chimpanzee with her. Well, well, well why, why, I was about to say, why, why wouldn't you? But why would you? We're going to go and greet the Beatles and I'm going to take my chimpanzee with me. Really? Where's Johnny Weissmuller when you need him? It's one of those little things about Beatlemania that we kind of don't think about. And, you know, thank you, Paul, for bringing it back. And, I mean, of course, he also says, I didn't know, but it's only when I sit back and, you know, even in the 60s, I didn't look that closely at him. It's only now when I was getting stuff ready for the book, you know, I go in and zoom in and look at all these individual people. And it's like, wait a minute, there's a chimpanzee there. <laughs> That he was just kind of amazed at that. Me. <laughs> I, you know, I think we appeal to everyone. <laughs> Even monkeys. I just love this moment. I know, and isn't that wild? And I mean, on the day, I just took the picture, but I couldn't ever see that detail. Right. Until the book and... Um, God bless. I, I saw that and I thought, this photograph captures... Yes. This is Beatlemania. <laughs> and then we had to call the monkey to clear the photo, <laughs> which did not go well. <laughs> kind of a cheap joke, but then we get another photo, which Paul is, I won't quite say fond of, but is one which clearly has stuck with him. It's one of their Miami cops who was escorting them. And the way Paul has taken this picture, all you can see is his sidearm and his bullets. Yeah, Paul pointed out they don't carry sidearms in the UK, so it was a very strange thing for them to see. Completely different, completely out of the realm of what they ever would have known or have seen. Definitely. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a police officer in the UK with a gun even now. They had sidearms when they were guarding Princess Diana, so I would guess they still do that with royalty. Probably. Probably not quite as visible, but in 1964, that would have been a deal. To them, it's like, well, this is three months since Kennedy's been shot. Yes. Another crowd photo. There's this one just really amazing girl in the middle of this. Paul's comment is, you know, I think I can hear the screams from here. 
And you can. You, yes. you look at the photo. It's like... Yeah, you can imagine the scream. This is a real version of what the screaming girl on Hard Day's Night was like. You know, the screaming, crying girl. And here she is. Conan's comment. I've never made anyone that happy in my life. However, today she'd be medicated. <laughs> you know, Tucci tends to play it pretty much straight down the line. Conan will go for the joke. I like it both ways. That's what she said. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing it. All right. So then into the hotel and kind of getting ready for the second Sullivan show, Paul has switched over to the color roll of film. He has. Yes. You know, you start out with these really stunning photos of them just out in the water. John Lennon, very, very pale John Lennon against this amazingly blue water. Yep, absolutely. And we got a bunch of photos of Cynthia in here, which is kind of interesting. Again, I believe Tucci just brings up one or two of them. There's one where he puts a photo of Cynthia side by side with a photo of George. And it's like, that's cool. Yeah, it is. George and Cynthia famously had a good relationship with friendship with each other, didn't they? I think, didn't she say that it was like a brother or something to her? I like the picture of George Martin and Judy as well. That's a nice picture. And there's a one a little bit later that neither of them chose to use where George is throwing Judy into the pool. Oh, right. <laughs> and as Conan says, that's the only time I've ever seen George Martin in shorts. Although you'll notice he's wearing shorts, but he's still wearing a dress shirt. Yes, he's still in work mode. He's got sunglasses, but the shirt he's wearing is a button-down white shirt. Now he's unbuttoned a couple buttons, but it's still like... Yeah. And yes, Judy looks very lovely in that. She does. More in Miami. There's a lot about those white terry cloth robes. We've always seen them, but they really did just take to them, and they wore them everywhere during that time in Miami. They really did, yes. Now, the, the nice thing about though, this stuff in this series of photos, uh, the hotel provided you with, you know, normally you'll get a robe yep. or a dressing gown in a hotel. They had these little terry towel jackets. Very cool. I think you see them next because you guys are are rehearsing. We didn't take them off. No. And we love them. In all the rehearsal shots, you can see that you guys are wearing... (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't wear them for the next three albums. A rehearsal which we have, by the way. We do have the video of the Sullivan rehearsal. Other photos are both around the pool and kind of in the water. and They wore those things everywhere. And in fact, we know that George would hold on to his when he went on vacation. I guess that was like April or so. (laughs) Once again, it came out. It did. I love the picture of Ringo on drums with Mal in the background. And just a shout out to that's Mal in that's the back Mal. of Mal Evans, that's who was your roadie, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's and he's got a, he's got a sunburn. Mal, yeah, Mal was a lovely man who was our roadie, and uh, a big bear of a man, mm-hmm. and he was a sweetheart. You know, he just uh, he he loved us, and we loved him. Paul comments that one of the nice things was that no matter how hard they worked. Brian would always plan a little bit of time for them to have some leisure. And that's kind of what was going on in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that they're enjoying themselves. The guys are here. They, they're in the sunshine. They can go to the beach for three hours. Yeah. And then you've got to go to work. 
again, Paul's response to that was, well, you know, after that, you really don't mind going off and doing a show. No, George is definitely enjoying it with that drink. We go into another one of Paul's favorite photos from the set and one that he speaks of frequently. You see George, he's lounging in a lounge chair, I guess, by the pool, and he's being handed a rum and coke or a scotch and coke, Paul isn't sure which, by a girl in a yellow swimming costume. I wouldn't quite call it a bikini. It's certainly a two-piece. Yeah, absolutely. Haven't I heard an interview before where they said that their drink of choice at that point in America was a scotch and coke? Yeah, you probably have. But that doesn't mean that that's what it was. No. It's certainly a something in Coke. Absolutely. You can tell by the color of the beverage. He's got a good tan. Well, he's starting to get a tan, and you know George was terribly sunburned when he got home. Absolutely. The way they were, the fact that they're coming out of the English rain where you never see the sun. And here they were for a week, basically. We're English. We don't tan that well, you know. Two things about that. Paul... Whether he's just trying to excuse it as being arty or whether it was an actual choice, the girl's head is not in the photo. The frame is from the neck down. Maybe he just wanted a picture of the bikini or a swimming costume again. That's possible. Yeah, He will say that, he's, that he was trying to get a picture of George. That's what he'll say. But um, no, that is George living the life. <laughs> I mean, you know, and he, he took to it very well. Yes. <laughs> So, he, so he's got the tan. He's yeah. in Miami. He's got the tan. He's got a, a girl, beautiful girl, in a sensational bikini. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, designer. I would have to tell Stella about that one. <laughs> Again, funny, funny, funny. Yeah. Whereas Stanley Tucci, he, he he talks about the color in the photograph and how colors pop in the color photographs. And he's right. You know, the whole Technicolor thing was very different. It was. You, you don't grade color in the same way anymore. And these photos are very much set up to look like 1960s Technicolor photos. I find it fascinating, going back to something you were saying earlier, how Paul mentions in passing that it reminds him of him having seen the new Wes Anderson film, Asteroid City, and how that pops with color as well. And he... And Wes Anderson's played with how colour is treated in that film. I mean, that was part of that discussion, which is also part of the Dune discussion. I think you're right. I think that's the more interesting part of Paul talking about film than just, oh, well, you know, a lot of it's crap. And, well, but I like Dune. It's like, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I found the Asteroid City mention a lot more interesting. So we, we move on to the last couple of photos that they talked about between the two interviews. As mentioned, it's the one, uh, the George photo of George just with this huge old grin on his face. In Tucci, they had it side by side with a picture of Cynthia. For Conan, they just had it by itself. And George just looks so happy. We like to think of George as being this slightly grumpy guy. To see him with this kind of smile, and it's not an artificial smile. It's not a smile for the camera smile. He is happy. This is the picture that really tells me that they were having a good time being, you know, just just relaxing and is that intimate photograph that you get lots of in the book is he water skiing or what's he doing i can't really tell Uh, once again george is in that terry cloth robe thing wasn't there a story about them borrowing somebody's boat yeah exactly george could water ski and again he may not be water skiing he may just be standing up in the back of the boat 
but just the way that Paul has framed it, you can't really tell. All you can tell is that there's this water behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that they're going some speed for that water to work. You can see it being kicked up in the background. You can. Then the one, just because of its weirdness, is one of my favorites. There's a plane who's carrying one of those little banners behind it, and the banner reads, There is only one Mr. Pants. Yeah, and I, I like the, the comment, Would anyone ever claim to be the second Mr. Pants? <laughs> there is a lighter which had that logo on it, so that had to have been a, a company that okay. was actually out there selling pants. Why they decided to go ahead, you know, it's not like there were drones. It wasn't easy to do this back then. They actually had to have some sort of aircraft to carry this thing behind it. Is it because they thought they might get something on the news or what? It's kind of beyond my understanding. That picture is just so funny. (laughs) The last photo, Paul catches a fish. Yeah. And he's horrified by the fact that he's caught this fish. And you can see that in Paul's grimace as well. That he's got this fish and he's like, and then he admitted that he ended up throwing it back in. What's he going to do is he's not going to take it and fry it up. No, that's true. That's true. We did hear that story about them, uh, that one of the times they escaped, they actually went off with someone and got a home cooked meal. We talked about that in Toppermost, but nonetheless, you know, it's, it's a great photo. You know, all these photos are real. They're not playing up to the cameras. So do you have any others that you wanted to mention? We're trying to get somebody to actually talk about the writing and talk about the composition of this book more than just what we talked about here, not that what we talked about here wasn't important or interesting. No, we've, like you said, we're going to go into more detail when we when we sort out the guest or guests, plural, to, to talk about the book in more detail. Yeah, particularly because the amazing thing about this is just this is the moment that you want. You know, if we were to say, I want candidates from any, say, six months, what would I want to see? I'd like to see them recording Pepper, but those probably wouldn't be quite as great. And, you know, we, we've got little little snaps all through this time. But this period, yeah. both when they were reveling in the fame in Liverpool and London, to Paris, where they were still a slightly unknown quantity, not completely unknown but slightly unknown to taking over the united states yep which is basically paraphrasing exactly the way that stanley tucci said it in when he was mentioning you know the importance of these photographs and i mean you know the other period is now covered by get back i would have loved to have seen just bunches and bunches of photos and of course now we have from december 68 into january 69 absolutely so the last thing I want to mention, you know, we mentioned the the one photo of Mal. There is a tremendous photo of Mal playing basketball, and I certainly want to talk to Ken Womack about that when we get a chance. We've got so many questions. For, are, you, are you noting all these down, Ed, all these things we keep saying, oh, we're going to ask, to ask Ken about this and that and the other? We'll have to figure that out. We know that we actually need to probably book that before too, too long because the first of Ken's Mal books is coming out in November, and we know he's going to be busy. And, well, we always like to be slightly ahead of the curve. So stay tuned, folks. I'll send out my feelers for Ken. <laughs> All right. That is the Tucci and the Conan interviews. They're very different. They are very worth the two hours, even though they talk about 
probably 60 to 70% they're talking about the same sets of photographs. And Paul does repeat some things between the two interviews. The nativity scene story does get repeated almost word for word between the two interviews. But it's different enough. And if Paul keeps going this way into the future, you know, I hope he brings on different people to do these interviews with him. So do I. That would be great. David Letterman has moved on to hour-long interviews. He basically does a studio interview about 40 minutes, and then he kind of goes on location with the guest. You know, the guest chooses a place, and they, they go on location, and they go out and do something together. I would love to see Paul on that. Absolutely. And the title makes perfect sense. My next guest needs no introduction. <laughs> yes. And I think for me personally, what's extraordinary to see in the exhibition is, of course, we all know this chapter of Beatlemania from the outside, what it looked like, what it sounded like. But for the first time, to see it from the inside, what it was like for those four pairs of eyes going through this and looking out from the eye of the storm, as Paul beautifully called it, is really extraordinary. And I think also very moving. So to celebrate the uh, opening of the exhibition, we're in for a real treat today, of course, with the conversation between Paul McCartney and Stanley Tucci. And we want to welcome our global audience joining us online. And of course, our live audience here uh, in the Lecture Theatre, which I think is wonderful because it's made up primarily of photography students from across the country, many of whom are the same age as Paul when he took these photographs. I think neither of our guests today need an introduction. You know them and you love their work. And it's a pleasure to host them in conversation as part of the National Portrait Gallery programme today. So please join me in welcoming to the stage Stanley Tucci and Paul McCartney. Both of these interviews are great. Both of them are worth your time. If you haven't gotten access to the book, find a way. If you can't afford it, go and try and get it from your library because I have heard that they're starting to show up in libraries. Ooh, interesting. And, well, there are other ways to obtain them, but we won't discuss that. Thanks, folks. Martin will not be back next week, but he will be back probably the week after. After, I think, is what we're trying to do. And we're looking for a guest. If you have any suggestions for us. Or any subject uh, suggestions, just go on the, you know, the Facebook page and leave your suggestions on there. Yep. Very good. And we will talk to you soon. Take care. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Um, what, what do you, <clears throat> when you, you have this exhibition here now, which is so beautiful and, um, and point and poignant, um, what, what do you hope that people will take away from it? I think, um, mainly like the joy of the period, cause it is, it's, you know, what is it? 60 years ago or something. Um, so it's a long time ago. To me, it's just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's because that's life. You, even though it's something you did all that time ago, 
Uh, I always, I always get amazed. This is still that body. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. It's still that body. You know. <laughs> you pinch yourself. Yeah, it, but it, it just got older. But so anyway, yeah. In answer to your question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if people see the wonder of the period and the kind of innocence of it all, um, and I think that would be great. If, yeah. pe if people can enjoy the period and enjoy us and see what we were up to, yeah. and then hopefully think the photographs are good. I want to make sure that I uh, wrap this up. I have to tell you that I have been lucky enough to be in my business now for you know, 30 some odd years and I get to talk to everybody. I can't think of a single person who's brought more joy to more people than you. And it is, I mean that, seriously. Uh, and <laughs> I really mean that. And I don't just mean, I don't just mean with the Beatles, I mean, and my son would agree, Wings, the solo work, the work that you've been doing, McCartney 3. Uh, you just don't stop making really lovely, beautiful music. And so when I arrived here today, someone in your group said, well, thanks for doing this, Conan. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is an absolute joy and a thrill and can't think of anything cooler than to get to spend an hour with you wow. and uh, look at these photos. So I think on behalf of everybody here, I want to say thank you, Paul McCartney. Thank you. Thank you. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals. But they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. 